Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The title of this podcast is Resilience, Being the Phoenix. Our guest is quite distinguished and in multiple fields. I've been looking to him for years, reading his articles and his books. In fact, I just ordered Executive Thinking recently. It is one of his latest books. He's also is what he is my favorite blogger, not one of them. He is my favorite blogger. That is totally true and sincere. In the 90s, he made neurolinguistic programming more accessible in a way and made a new branch of it. I have been fostering a reverent relationship with him. I, I look to him as a teacher, a friend, and an ally. I don't mind sharing this with the audience and I hope Michael doesn't mind either. But one of the strategies I have for my company Auxilium is to be sponsored. Now we're just a little startup deliberately avoiding venture capital. Uh, we think we're a baby whale and we're looking for people who are established and, and well-respected to say some kind words about this. Uh, I've only asked about four or five people. He is one <laughs> and he said, quite intelligently, par for the course, very measured. He said, not now, maybe down the road, you know, we'll, we'll take a look. Because, you know, there's two kinds of people in the world, people who make claims and people who get results. And he's the latter kind. And he's looking, I imagine that's what he's looking from us, uh, from us to have. And when he does, then maybe he'll reconsider. <laughs> uh, but he is definitely a results person. He is an entrepreneur who lives in the Rocky Mountains of Western Colorado, Colorado. By the way, it's one of my goals to have a home in the Rockies. So maybe in the future we'll be a, a, a we'll be neighbors. <laughs> for 20 years, he's conducted a, a private therapy practice, and for 10 years, an NLP training center. He shifted to modeling expertise in the early 90s, and from that, he created many NLP and neurosemantic models, including the Metastates model. He studied and worked with Richard Bandler, writing several books for him and about NLP, such as The Spirit of NLP, 96, Becoming More Ferocious as a Presenter, Time for a Change, etc. His doctorate is in Cognitive Behavioral Psychology from Union Institute University in Cincinnati, Ohio. His dissertation explored the language of four psychotherapies, NLP, RET, reality therapy, and logotherapy, using the formulations of general semantics. In 1995, he addressed the Interdisciplinary International Conference presenting an integration of NLP and general semantics. His master's degree was in clinical counseling and psychology from Regis University in Denver, Colorado, and his bachelor's of science was in management of human resources. Prior to that, he took a master's in biblical literature and language. As a prolific writer, 
He has written 58 books. You did not mishear that. 58 books. Another 30 serial books, over 100 published articles, and is recognized as a leading NLP trainer and developer. Most notable of the models is the Metastates model, also the Matrix model, Axis of Change, etc. He co-founded with Dr. Bob Bodenhamer Neurosemantics in 1996 as a field which focuses on meaning and performance. As a mod, I, by the way, I feel like an idiot compared to him, but I say that with tongue in, tongue in cheek. This is a guy who just walks the walk. It's just that simple. Uh, as a matter of expertise, he has completed 27 modeling projects, which include modeling resilience, self-reflexive consciousness, thinking, quote unquote, communication excellence, sales, persuasion, accelerated learning, wealth creation, women in leadership, fitness and health, cultures, leadership, collaboration, and more. Now, all that said, when I grow up, I hope to be like him. <laughs> all that said, I give you Dr. Michael Hall, PhD. Welcome. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> I haven't heard that long list for a long time. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's, it's good to rehear our, our resume because uh, we we you know we forget what we've done and, uh, yeah. and maybe be thinking about other things and not seeing the whole picture as much as we used to. <laughs> yes, true, true enough. Yes. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I truly, it's an honor for me to have you here. Uh, I really do hold you in a great reverence. You, you're, the body of work, which I just listed, uh, speaks for itself. And um, your, your, and not just, not just your experience and your, and your contributions, but as a person, you're so prolific. It's, I, that's exactly, I, 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 one of my goals is to have this staff and the purpose of the staff is to get the most out of Tony Petroza. It seems like mm. you, you get the most out of Mike, Michael Hall. I don't know, prob probably with much less people than I imagine I need. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. So you, 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 I mean, you, you, you know and write on so many subjects, but like I said at the, at the outset, the, uh, the subject for this podcast is resilience and I don't mind sharing with you some years ago my brother who's a very accomplished entrepreneur said to me he gave me a very rare compliment <laughs> he said one of the things that he admires about me is my resilience I was like wow that's great you know and that was great to hear from him I respect him and I'm an ex-paratrooper and that's great uh and I don't feel like I'm as resilient as I used to be. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But uh, I know that especially in these times, in, the, in a pandemic world that's still going on, it's probably more important than ever. Now, right. Right. <laughs> let, me, let, me ask my first, let me ask my first question. How, do you, how did you discover the strategy of resilience? Well, the short answer is I interviewed quite a number of people who had been through an emotional hell and had returned. And I was searching for what are the secrets of your being able to bounce back when you've been set back or knocked down in some way. And so the short answer is by interviewing people who had uh, bounced back, become resilient to find out their strategy. They, but we, we often don't even know our strategies, right? We, uh, you have to, got to go much deeper than the conscious mind. Right. 
I mean, that's what modeling and finding out strategies is all about. Right. So it was quite a process, I imagine. Right. I began in 1990 and finished it in 94. It was a three and a half year project. And during that time, there was very little written on resilience. Today, there's many books on resilience, uh, many websites. But at that time, there was very, very little. And so I was looking for the NLP uh, linear step-by-step strategy. How do you do it? Now, as I said, I mean, in the age of COVID-19, people like, oh, yeah, that's, you wrote that because of COVID. No, no, resilience has always been an invaluable trait or quality or strategy to have. <laughs> but exactly. now, as you know, we, 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 we often think that things are, are, are topical because they're in our, in our view, but that's just because they're in our view, all right? <laughs> These right. things are always in play. You know, our, we're only see, perceiving what we're perceiving. That doesn't mean that, that that's, that's, it's new or that it's, you know, it's an, an elaboration. <laughs> all right. Um, so let's, let's, let's get back to when you first developed this in the 90s. What questions were you trying to answer? Well, some states, uh, learning state, joy state, relaxation state, uh, anger state, fear state, some states are immediate. So one trigger and you go into state. But resilience is not like that. You can't think of something and then suddenly be resilient. Some states are complex and it takes a long time to develop. If we think about the health state, you can't just think health and then step in the state and you're healthy. Same thing with wealth. You can't think, you know, some people, uh, some shysters will, will get you to think, think you're a millionaire and then feel like you're a millionaire and suddenly you're a millionaire. It just doesn't work that way. Well, resilience doesn't work that way either. So the question becomes, what are the steps? What do I need to think? What do I need to say to myself? What do I need to do? What are the steps that allows me to get up from a setback, get up on my feet, dust myself off, and develop inside a spirit in which I'm ready to go for it again? What are the basic steps? So one of the things I uh, came up with at that time was the seven stages of resilience. And the stages then show us um, the process a person's going to have to go through. Stage one is the setback. Something knocks you down financially, health-wise, um, uh, relationship-wise. You're knocked down and you got to get up. The second stage is the emotional roller coaster stage. Because now most of us, we're up or down, we're up or down. We think we can get out of it. We're, we're depressed. And so the emotional roller coaster stage, when we're angry, when we're fearful, when a whole range of emotions start flooding our mind and body. Eventually, we get to the acceptance stage. Okay, it's happened. I've got to deal with it. It is what it is, acceptance. And from acceptance comes the coping stage. So the fourth stage is, what do I have to do to cope? Do I have to file bankruptcy? Do I have to file divorce? Do I have to apologize? What do I have to do to start getting my life back together again? After we cope, we eventually normalize. So we get back to where things are back to normal. 
And of course, that's what we're talking about during this pandemic. When do we get back to normal? And, and not some new normal, but how do we get back to life being normal? Finally, we can get to the mastering stage. And the mastering stage is when we're thriving. We're not just getting by, surviving. We're thriving. We're, we have a vision. We have hope. We have dreams. There's energy and vitality inside. And the seventh stage would be uh, the recovery. I'm back. That's fantastic. Uh, let's just take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor, and we're, and I, we're going to come right back with Dr. Michael Hall and talk more about these seven steps of resilience. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. What if you could get the results of being coached without a human coach? What if a computer could coach you? Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O. .io, where you can get coached without scrutiny, judgment, or pressure. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Dr. Michael Hall, PhD. We're talking about resilience. Now, he just elaborated the seven steps of resilience according to his strategy. And one of the first, I think the second thing you cited was acceptance. Now, I happen to be a recovering addict, as they say, um, and... Uh, you know, I was an AA and NA, which I think is very helpful, but ripe with pitfalls to, that you got to be careful about. You know, they, I think one of the biggest things to be, to be wary of is they teach the broken model. I don't think that we're broken. And if we were, we can be fixed. Yeah. All right. Yeah. If you were broken, you're fixed. If you were hurt, be healed. Uh, it's just that simple. Uh, like you're nodding in agreement. But I, I found that 12 steps was a fantastic methodology for self-improvement for the screwed up individual. <laughs> and if everyone I, I, I thought was about acceptance, everyone, each, each step was about acceptance. And you mm -hmm. talked about it being, I think the second one, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, it's a critical thing to accept things as they are, you as you, as you are, what has right. happened, uh, and not to fantasize if things were only different, if the situation was different, if I had different strengths and weaknesses, accepting things, that's critical. And if you don't exactly. do that, you probably went down a wrong road and, and you're not going to become resilient until you come back to that point yeah. of accept or not accept. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention <laughs> to you, Doc. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So acceptance is critical. And then you also, one the, another subsequent step was you took, talked about asking yourself critical questions that seemed to me were all action oriented. It, you can, it's not enough just to, you know, discern what is, which is which, but you've got to take steps from questions that were well asked, you know, ask yourself crappy questions, you get crappy answers. You ask yourself good questions, get good answers, and then acting on them. It seems to me that's what you were alluding to or describing. Is that accurate? Right, right. Okay, so part, so so it's acceptance and it is action oriented. To be resilient, that's those are two critical parts of it. So let me introduce something that was occurring in 1990. Elizabeth Kubler Ross had developed the stages of grief, and five stages of grief, uh, which is what a person goes through uh, when they're set back. They go through denial and then bargaining, and then anger, and depression, and then finally acceptance. Her study was based upon Americans, 
and how Americans deal with, with death and dying and the two year period. But her presupposition was you have to go through the, those stages. My question was why? Why don't we start with acceptance? Because everything from denial to bargaining, to anger, to depression is refusal to, to accept whatever is. And you can't change anything if you don't accept it. Right. So those, those were either preliminary or just completely unnecessary. <laughs> Most people still go through them. This, this is why people need to learn how to be resilient, because if they don't start with acceptance, then they're going to go through the emotional hell right. of denial, which is fantasy land, right. uh, anger and fear, which is not going to help any coping, and, and depression. And so we start with acceptance uh, that, okay, this is what I've got to deal with. Now, what do I do? to begin to cope, to get, begin to survive. I found before, before I got to the place where uh, I could accept um, is that I, I was a, such a fantasizer, fantasy. Oh, I, mm -hmm. just, I just fantasized mm -hmm. something else happening. She said this, she did that, I did this, I did that. And, and things would be so much better uh, if they just things were as I fantasized. And that might've been my, my uh, motive, but I found that it just caused me so much more perpetual pain, pain that would not cease until I stopped fantasizing and remembered yeah. things accurately as they were, according to my own memory, right, which is highly fallible as it is, but that's not the point. The point is I wasn't wishing for something else. I was accepting things as they were, and, yeah. and, and that critical. And, and um, you cite that, that's, that's the starting point. Well, uh, that's the starting point. But there is there is the first point, oh, which is uh, there's the the problem, right? That that's the starting right. point, right? Okay, so you have the problem, which is the human the human situation, right? <laughs> right? If we have a, if we have a problem, we, we know we're still a human, or well, at least a good chance of it. Right. <laughs> so back in 1990, uh, while there wasn't much written on resilience as such, uh, Martin Sigelman who later became president of the American Psychological Association, he had, he had written two books. One was Learned Helplessness and one was Learned Optimism. Learned Helplessness uh, and Learned Optimism, his words, um, is the critical turning point after acceptance. And without that, um, you can't be resilient. Learned Helplessness is a threefold um, understanding of whatever the problem is. And he summarized it in three Ps, personal, pervasive, permanent. That's the helplessness? Learn helplessness. Yep. That what, whatever happened, whether it was a financial crisis, a, a health crisis, a relationship crisis, whatever happened, personal, it's about me. If you do that, you're bringing the problem inside personal, pervasive. It's everywhere. Now you have no room for any kind of joy or, or relaxation or happiness about any other part of life. It's everywhere. And then permanent is forever. So this is the structure of clinical depression. If you want to become clinically depressed, take some bad thing, 
It can be the smallest little thing. Somebody criticizes you, and now it's about me. Nobody likes me. Uh, nobody ever will like me. I'll never have any friends, and this will be forever. And those three Ps is a way to piss all over yourself. Yes. Permanent, pervasive, permanent. So looking at that, I came up with three Ts. Three Ts that keeps it out that pushes out whatever the problem is, the bad thing is, it pushes it out. And the three T's are, is uh, that there then. It's that, it's not me. It's the way I talked, it's the behavior I did, it's the job I had, it's the misbehavior I did, it's the context in which that occurred, it's that. It's there, it's not everywhere, it's, it's, it's there specifically at that time and that place and the location. And it's not forever, it's just then. So the cure for the three Ps of permanent, pervasive and personal is that they're then, which then keeps the bad thing from coming inside and getting in our minds and hearts and contaminating us. Right. So it's like the meta NLP meta model, but three area, three specific questions. That, there, and then. That's that's where the goal is. Right. You know, it's a funny thing. You know, uh, you know the, the three elements of the learned helplessness, personal, pervasive, and permanent. I, you know, I imagine that you can excel in one area and need, need, need help in another, you know. And mm, mm. One, area, uh -huh. one, one game changer, or, or that, or at least it was very significant for me, is when I stopped personalizing stuff, and started yeah. saying, realizing, understanding, in my perception, that nothing is permanent, nothing at all. That people do to me, and that could be a lover or a, a, not just a you know casual lover, girlfriend, you know, whatever. People do to me what they do, and it has little or nothing to do with me. I just mm -hmm. happen to be there, you know, not not to mitigate myself, but people act out what's in them. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not about me necessarily. They didn't want to rob Tony Petroza. I happened to be there when they were greedy. <laughs> you know, yeah. or when she was feeling unsure of herself and she needed and she wasn't getting her needs fulfilled by me, you know, and she acted out. Oh, you know, and I'm yeah. not making myself the good guy because I'm as I'm both good and bad. Uh, but but that was a critical uh, yeah plateau i needed to get to to realize that things are not personal they're not personal and for me as well the things that i do are not personal about myself they're just what i've learned to how yeah. to behave or, or how i perceive the world and that was yeah. a critical now the other areas about pervasiveness and permanent those are two other areas that you know you can excel in or need work in but just that alone was a game changer for me so right so, how we think about that in nlp we say that uh, we are more than our behavior. Behavior is one thing, and ourselves as a human being, a person, we're more than our behavior. And sometimes our behavior um, isn't up to par. Sometimes our behavior causes problems, but I'm more than my behavior, and I can learn to do better behaviors. You know, it's a funny thing about that presupposition that you just cited, you know, we are both milpers. Obviously, you are much more <laughs> distinguished and renowned than I am, to say the least. But uh, I think that we both embrace the presuppositions. I think that's one of the things that attracts me to you. You're very congruent. 
you're a guy who, who really talks about LP and really embraces it uh, to whatever degree that you do. And I and I I lo- I think NLP is fantastic, uh, to say the least. But I find I have found, especially in this this age of social media, that a lot of nilpers, they, whether you know that that's their feel that they don't live, they don't walk the walk or presuppositions as much yeah. as to make them congruent. You know, right. you know, they attack people for their beliefs. Well, what happened to you know allowing people their own model of the of the universe? Exactly. What happened, yeah. what happened to what you just mentioned? What, what happened to that? Now things are personal. Now a person's bad. <laughs> well, what happens to that? So it seems to me yeah. that when when a, a person or a nilper or a per, you know embraces the presupp. By the way, for for those who don't know, in NLP we have presuppositions. We're basically not not, not bylaws, but they are a set of quasi beliefs or something that we can really buy into in order to empower ourselves and to empower our clients. Right. And, 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 and first part empowering ourselves is a critical part. I love to empower myself. I don't like, and by buying into this stuff, you know, nothing's personal that I'm not smarter than you, that you, this is what you believe. And this is what I believe. And this is what you perceive, you know, then there, there's, there, there's no condemnation required. There's not, there's not even any criticism required. You right. know, it's a right. game. It's a, wow, things are okay as they are, you know, and it makes it a lot easier to become resilient. I think when the right. world, when the world is not as nasty as I thought it was, you know, that we're all just trying to get along as best we can. It makes it much more easier to yeah. be resilient. Yeah. So once again, the whole idea of acceptance of other people, different ideas, uh, acceptance, you can't change what you don't accept. And when we're just fighting, <laughs> we're not going to be making any changes. Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, so we'll take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Michael Hall. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. What are the secrets to wealth? Benjamin Franklin taught them, but people are ignorant or just forget. What if you make sure neither afflicts you? Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can actually become certain you're on your way to wealth. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, and I'm here with Dr. Michael Hall, PhD. You know, 20 years ago, I had a whirlwind romance. It was like the shortest, in terms of significant relationships, it was the shortest ever, but I think it was the most definitive ever in my life. And it took me a long time to quote unquote, get over it. Now, I don't you know, I'm, I'm sure people define that differently as people define almost everything differently. <laughs> but I, I thought about this girl a lot for five years, which was surprising. <laughs> you know, usually it was like, well, uh, who, what was her name? And, uh, but see, this girl got to me, you know, I let her in and, um, damage was done uh and so how how valuable could could uh resilience not just a general term but you know uh, you know by the way you will you'll learn audience that <laughs> michael has written a book about resilience and uh, he's, he's referring to it uh he's one of the, one of the 58 books is is about resilience but um how valuable is the learning of resilience in something about in you know something as precise as getting over a relationship or a romance as it were well so once we once we set it aside 
It's that, it's there, it's then. Then we can do some problem solving. What is it? And what are the conditions of it? And what do I need to do to handle it? With a relationship, is it over or not? If it's over, then acceptance that it's over. And, and now making apologies, making friendship, whatever uh, is going to be, and then moving on. So if we can't confront whatever is that reality, so how many people make things worse because they won't fully accept it um, and they, they won't file the bankruptcy papers, they won't file the divorce, they won't, they won't take the action. Maybe it's a health crisis. They need to go to the gym. They need to start working out, but they don't. <laughs> so we can't cope unless we know what we're coping with and what are the best strategies for coping with that particular thing. And so once we have pushed it out, now becomes problem solving time and uh, really doing some critical thinking about what it is and how to, how to focus with it. So there, there are different ways to cope. Uh, yeah. right? uh, I mean, how, like basically, like given it, can you give an example of a different method of coping? Well, it all de depends upon what it is. Um, you know, a few years ago, I, uh, I had a uh, lesion that turned out to be cancerous. And as soon as I found out that it was cancerous, I started reading books on cancer, cancer research, healing cancer by natural means, vitamins and minerals, uh, uh, the doctors and what there's. So I just, if I'm going to cope with something, I have to understand what that something is. So I have to educate myself, I have to learn. So almost everything is like that. If I'm going to deal with a business failure, I need to be learning about business and how business works and, and how contracts work and just how negotiation works and persuasion works. So learning is how we learn to cope more effectively with anything. And then we start making lifestyle changes. So I immediately eliminated all, uh, all dairy products, all, all red meats, all breads. Uh, I just started eliminating the things that contribute to cancer. So education is, if not the key, is definitely the, the critical thing to get into. <laughs> Self-education. Yeah. Because if you things. don't know how, then you don't know how. Right. And, and, and everything then, you're going to do is going to be foolish. And then it's the fear of the unknown, right? <laughs> Which could be anything right. and everything. <laughs> That's when, you know, I'm a sailor. I love to sail. Uh, but sometimes I think about I'm safe on the boat because I don't know what's in that water. It could be something so scary. Now, yeah. it, may be, it may be devoid of life, but in my mind, it could be anything. But I also became a scuba diver. So I got into the water and got to see what was down there. And then I knew. Uh -huh. And then I knew. So, you know, and that was, and that also, that was a yeah. game changer as well because it was nothing scary yeah. necessarily. It was this and that, and, and that was okay. So what you're talking about is turning on the light the light of knowledge so that we know what we're dealing with. Um, not knowing what you're dealing with is what creates all those irrational fears. And, you know, irrationality, I think, of course, you know, we're all emotional creatures. That's, that's, you know, that's the human description. Yeah. I think that we're all irrational to a degree, but I think that the trick really is to consciously and deliberately become less irrational. Really, you know, to improve our emotional intelligence. If we do that, 
that's the ticket to a, a happier life because we don't get bogged down by the unknown and make these assumptions that are detrimental and costly to us. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I love education. To me, I, you know, all education whether you, is self-education. I don't care if you got all, all the degrees like you've right. got and more. Right. You need to learn what you, what that's yeah. relative to you. What are the things? So, so, so to tie up a theme of what you and I are talking about, it starts with a, a special kind of thinking uh, that they're then. That kind of thinking helps to distinguish myself and, and behaviors, myself and context, myself and the world I live in. Then another kind of thinking, what is it? How to turn the light on? How to cope with it? So the kind of thinking, this critical thinking, instead of cognitive distortions, uh, as we've been talking about, irrational fears, over-exaggerating, tunnel vision, uh, awfulizing. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thinking that leads us to the kind of learning that allows us to now master the challenges of everyday life. And that's what resilience is. It's mastering the, the challenges of life and, and keeping, your, keeping your vitality, your vision, your hope, your dreams, your love. So I, mean, I was about to ask the question, why study re resilience? But I think you just described it. <laughs> that's why, all right? Yeah. Because I mean, those are, that's, that's the, the gravy of life, <laughs> right? And you want the gravy or you want to have a dry piece of meat? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't like yeah. that metaphor, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, that, so resilience is an invaluable thing to, yeah. to have. To, would you say it's something you possess or is it, is it something that's more effervescent? Well, it, it's something we develop. Uh, an interesting thing about resilience is our bodies are highly resilient. Mm. You get a cut and a few days later, it starts healing up and, and the body heals itself. Now, the mind has to learn how to do that. The mind and the heart, we have to learn how to keep things out that they're then and, and we have to learn how to do critical thinking so that we cope effectively with whatever the challenge is. You mentioned earlier learned optimism. I used to be a very negative person and I still think I'm a negative person, but I constantly weed. I learned to constantly weed the negative thoughts from my mind, which are constant. You know, if in the vacuum, I will go to the, I'll go to the negative, <laughs> you know, and that's, and I, I hope I didn't, at the risk of giving the instructions to myself, that's, I'm just describing myself. But I've also learned to be a weeder of my garden, right? The garden of my mind. And this is a critical thing. Now, one of my strategies that I, why I had that, that, uh, well, one of my motive for that strategy is that when I was disappointed, I wasn't surprised. <laughs> but I found that I manifested those, those, those disappointments, yeah. right? Much more than I might have. I might have had much less of them if I was a little bit more optimistic. And I, that's, indeed, that's what, how I developed. I became less pessimist, pessimistic. I uh -huh. became more optimistic. Now, if you, I think if you ask people about me, they would say that I'm quite an optimist. And I mm. found that that was a game changer, really, to be, yeah. to be an optimist. No matter what my nature was, you know, even if it's my nature to be suspicious or negative or whatever, to, to get past that, okay, well, you know, to, and to go, well, this is, that's, uh -huh. those, th that kind of thinking precludes so many 
scenarios yeah. that I, I would like, <laughs> right? So many outcomes that would be so much more preferred than that disappointment. You know, I can deal with the surprise. I found that I could deal with, you know, this is a critical thing. I found that I could deal with the surprise by being more resilient, mm-hmm. Deliber- deliberately. Right. I, I right. might've had a natural de- the resilience, but you know, as I got older, I found that it was more fragile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right and by being deliberately resilient uh i've had that process required me to become more optimistic right now my guess is a lot of the listeners is going to identify with what you just described and the, part of the reason is what we now know in the neurosciences about brain development um when we do statistics on on people 60 to 70 percent of people say that they are pessimistic our brains are wired to be pessimistic when we're young. Why? Well, to survive, to watch out for dangers. Our brain is a anticipation machine of what could go wrong. And, and it does that until we have enough maturity, enough coping skill, enough intelligence to have all these coping skills to where, well, that's not a problem anymore. I can cross the street. I can look both ways, cross, I can drive, I can do this. I, the more skills you have, the less fear. Absolutely. When I was creating the virtual coaching program for Fisio, I saw that people that, you know, people have uh, an away strategy or a torch strategy or both, <laughs> right? And I felt that people needed both, uh, generally speaking, because right. I was making a universal process this certainly is customized for the individual because that's necessary you can't people are individuals but there are times we need to get away from something there are times we need to go towards something exactly (laughs) right and and either it's contextual or there's a a circumstance that that uh, that that can be uh be created uh and a person brought into by the way you know (laughs) let me run something by you you're such a great person to do this because you're so experienced i i have a there's something in the side that i'm working on i'm, I'm focused on auxilium and proficio because it, you know that's that's the way to be successful but there's a it's something i'm working on you know i'm an entertainer as well uh it's a show that's backburned now where you know i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a coach like you and I, you know generally speaking the the general idea is that you can't help anyone that doesn't want to be helped but i i i have this it's more than theory. It's a model I'm developing that in a certain circumstance, that's there's an exception to that. <laughs> that in if the circumstance is right, a person who does not want to be helped can be a help when they reach certain points where they surrender to mm-hmm. to the possibilities that that they should accept help. Uh, what what do you think about something like that, Doc? Well, the, you know, that's, that's the threshold uh, theory of mm. personality. That, yes. And, and it's what AA is built on also, uh, that you have to get to the place where you give up uh, absolute control and yield control to an intelligence higher than yourself. Um, so, yeah, that's a threshold thing. Uh, a lot of people go through a radical change when they reach threshold. And, and they reach that point never again. And then something pops. And, and so creating some of those thresholds for people um, is what 
there's all kinds of interventions that really attempt to facilitate that. Well, that's what I want to do. We'll see how I do. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be a small thing. I think it's going to be an attention getter. Uh, anyway, okay, moving on. Um, how did you, dis- now, how did you discover the metastates? Metastates is a big part of, of what you developed. Uh, I've, re- I've read your books on them or some of your books on them. It's really fascinating stuff. How did you discover the metastates? So one day I was asking a gentleman who had been to hell and back, which was the description of your resilience. So he said he's back in life. And so I th- started going through the stages. Okay, you went, you had the setback. What was it about? He told me. You went through the emotional roller coaster stage. Okay, tell me about that. The ups and downs of your emotion. You went through the acceptance stage. Tell me about that. At some point, I asked him, how did you know to go from this stage to that stage? And that's when he said something to the effect of, it was like I had a state about all those states. And I knew I was going to get through. And so um, that's how I went from this stage to that stage. It was time to move on. And whether he said it or I said it, I don't even remember anymore. He said it was, it was like a meta state to the state. And then that started bringing up all the things I had been reading in uh, Gregory Bateson and Alfred Korzybski about levels of the mind and the self-reflexivity of the mind. And so here is a state that's not about, a, that's not a state directly, but indirectly. So it's a state about a state, which then led to the metastates model. You know, I, I would have <laughs> thoughts about metastates. I'm like, okay, this is not, I'm, this is not the thing I'm, I am. I'm thinking about something else about it, you know, and, uh, but you've articulated it. You've codified it or, you know, articulated it and developed it for, so a person can really get meta. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it's what, what a great body of work you've done. But, you know, and this is not a criticism, sir. When I read your stuff, you know, you're breaking this stuff down intellectually, you know, stuff that I have had ideas about, you know, or, you know, inklings about and sometimes it can be hard to intellectualize it, you know, yeah. scholastically, academically, you know, where it's more of a, it's a feeling or a nuance or an intuition, but getting it into words or processing it in words is another level, but you do yeah. it. And I, and I appreciate it very much. Okay. So, let's, so, so to bring it to resilience, um, let's go to the very first stage of the setback. If you ask a person, what do you think about this setback? They're going to tell you their meta state. Well, it's about me. It's forever. It's everywhere. I can't do anything. So that's what you think about the setback. I I have just now heard their frame. And the problem that they have is their frame. They're not the problem. The frame is the problem. So, and it's easy to challenge it. So you think that everything you do is a reflection on you. And so your seven-year-old self Everything that seven-year-old did was a reflection on you. You're, you're that seven-year-old self. Well, people go, well, not exactly. I'm grown up now. So every behavior you do is reflect. Or is there a difference? You behave. You're a person and you behave. And you're more than that. So it's not personal. So can we get that metastate going? It's not about me. It's about that behavior. And so now we're, we're creating metastates all along the line 
uh, at each stage of the resilience so the person can keep moving out and becoming resilient. Right. So it just gives them maneuverability, I think. Right. Yeah. They're able to maneuver. Now it's not stuck in this. It's how it is. No, it, there's a frame here. Yeah. Whether they weren't even realizing it, but there was a frame. Exactly. Now, you, now you give them a frame and they can adjust that. Yeah. That's great. Let's take a quick moment to, for a final word from our sponsor. And we're going to come back with the final segment with Dr. Michael Hall. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. Perficio learns more about you as you make progress and then uses that information to help you even more. It is quasi-AI. Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can be helped by something that learns more about you because that is the difference that makes the difference. You are listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Dr. Michael Hall, and we're talking about resiliency. So this is the final part, and, and I'm. it's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, final question, Doc. Uh, what are the keys to being resilient? Well, the first key is, um, is, is really waking up to, to embrace the setback because you can't change it if you don't, if you don't accept it. So what, what is it? And, and then as we do that, those three T's is going to protect your, your heart. It's that there then, which, which then enables us to become what we are by nature, problem solvers. Our brain is, is designed to, to find and solve problems. And now we're ready to solve those problems. And so that's the beginning of it. As we solve those problems, we're going to cope. We're going to start surviving. We're going to start normalizing. And the step after that is thriving. Too many people uh, will only go in resilience so far. That they're surviving. But that's no way to live, mm. just to survive, just to, okay, I'm enduring what I, what, and I keep remembering all these bad things of life. We, we need to move to, to thriving, to really mastering it, to recovering hope, to recovering joy and passion and love and, and living fully. And then we're fully uh, being resilient. So being resilient is, is the key to being truly human <laughs> because animals, you know, they, they solve the most simplistic problems, uh, but that's their realm. That's their domain. We yeah. being you, human solve complex problems. And, and that's, that's the, the description of being a human. You know, that's the, that's the beauty. That's the gift of God's gift here. This brain, this mind is that we can solve problems so that we can have, you know, things beyond survival <laughs> exactly yeah right and what's beyond survival is meaningfulness yes it's 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 living a meaningful life that is making a difference and contributing and everybody wants that that's driven that's a that's a drive inside all of us and it's possible no matter how many setbacks you've had you know that's it's so true of course and uh, you know one of the things, you know, I, I know pain, right? Because because anyone who's alive knows pain. Life is painful, right? And, you know, and I've had my share of pain, you know, debts and whatever. Uh, and some people said to me, oh, Tony, you've had such such a, you know, bad luck with people that have died, been close to you and this and that. You know, and 
okay, I allow them to have their opinion. But you know, yeah, I see, I know that life is painful, but it also has joy. Right. <laughs> it has joy too. So we can talk right. about the pain, but we can talk about the joy as well. And that's the better part of life, <laughs> right? <laughs> like the pain is, is just like the ticket, right? To, to play, to be in the ride, to be, to be, you know, to see the movie. But joy is where it's at, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And you get that by being resilient, not wallowing in this lower thinking, this thinking that doesn't solve problems, that just stays in the problem. Exactly. Yeah. So resilience is future oriented. Um, <clears throat> the setback locks you into the, into the past, that the past determines the future. Whereas resilience is I determine my future because whatever's happening is just happening now and it's not forever. This too will pass. So true. Man. I think that's a, a key part of personal development is that we can have the future that we want, you know, yeah. if we do what it takes to have it, not just dreaming it. That's the step one. <laughs> you got to go to step two after that, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> buy a book, whatever. And a book is just, just another step, certainly far from being the, uh, the end, <laughs> uh, you know, and, you know, and now we're coming to the end, you know, the two most prolific people I know are you, sir, and Rex Sykes. Do you know Rex Sykes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Rex, uh, Rex is a good friend of mine. He's a mentor of mine. Uh, but no one can touch you on the book side. 58, Rex just came out with one recently, his first personal development one. But you've got like 58. It's just incredible. And we've been talking about one of your books, uh, which is called Resiliency, uh, Be the Phoenix. Is that correct? Yeah, Being the Phoenix. Being the Phoenix, right. Yeah. ING, very important there, <laughs> right? We give, yeah. we give maneuver, we give space, we give action. But I mean, you, you, I think you've written like five in the last year or so. Yeah. Boy, talk about someone who really took advantage of the of 2020 being a down year, right? The pandemic year. Well, that's the way to be, man. Uh, and then maybe we'll have you in, have you on, on a subsequent podcast talking about another book, but uh, um Let's just talk about how people can get your book or, or maybe check out uh, another book that you offer. Uh, so how can a, a person uh, contact you or, or see what, uh, what you're about or what you offer? Well, the website is Neurosemantics, one word, neurosemantics.com. And we've got, we've got uh, a lot of the books, uh, physical books people can buy. Uh, we've got a lot of the books on the shop, which are PDF files people can buy for Kindle. Um, and the, the website has just lots and lots of articles. I think there's 8,000 pages of articles and patterns and, and things. Uh, we've made it so that it, it's just a, um, um, a library of references for people. Uh, audience, I totally and truly recommend that you go to a site and sign up for his blog. He truly and sincerely is my favorite blogger. He has all this great knowledge, but he makes it so it's so accessible. You know, you know, doesn't you know doesn't dumb it down, but he makes it easily understood, uh, and it's so uh, pertinent and usable stuff that's that's topical. I totally encourage you to go to to go to a site just to sign up for his blog, uh, and and if nothing more. So I, I, that's uh, neurosemantics.com. And by the way, that I alluded to it earlier, neurosemantics is, and I mentioned it, is, is a primary thing that he's known for, which is this, you know, kind of an offshoot 
of NLP, uh, but it's, it's well, it, check it out. <laughs> check it out. I really appreciate everything you do, Doc. You have any uh, final remarks for our viewers and listeners? Well, if, if in the last year you've been knocked down, um, keep whatever the knockdown is outside. If you keep it outside and keep your heart and mind clean, you, you will bounce back. And that's what resilience is all about. And bouncing back is just a skill to learn like any other skill. And you can do that. Wonderful. Michael, I really appreciate you very much for giving me your mm, time you. and I, my audience. I really appreciate it so much. Uh, uh, again, you're, you're, you're so respected and established. And, you know, I'm, I'm a up and comer um, and um, you really you really were very generous with me and I really appreciate that sir uh, that's been my privilege thank you thank you sir and I, I encourage any listener to go to neurosemantics.com uh, check it check out the articles sign up for the blog or buy a book uh, I just like I mentioned at the beginning I bought, just bought another book from you uh, executive decision I'm looking forward to that now uh, you know, and now I consider myself an executive. I'm the head of my company now. I have, you know, I, I closed my life coaching practice and I created a technological coaching practice. And so it's time to me to be not just an entrepreneur, but the leader of a company. So I want to think, I got to think like a, uh, an executive. So I've got to do what executives do, which, which includes reading books about being an executive, <laughs> right? Which you, you mentioned earlier right. about being resilient or educating yourself. So yeah. I really appreciate what you do. And um, remember, every one of us is responsible for ourselves and we can all use some help. Thanks a lot, Dr. Michael Hall. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.